Hey everyone, it's Pacific, and welcome back to another episode of SCP Archives. First things first, I just wanted to give a huge shout out and say thanks to everyone who visited our booth at Midsummer Scream uh, and everyone who came by our panels. Uh, it was great meeting all of you and seeing all of you, uh, and John and I had a great time. Um, we'll definitely be doing more conventions and live shows in the future. Um, we're still kind of figuring it out. So more news on that as we figure it out. Otherwise, not a ton going on right now. So I want to give a big shout out to this week's patrons, including King Reaper, Irish Dragon King, Kay McKenzie, Divine Turbo Diesel, Brandon Holland, David Herman, Audrey Resendez, and... Duke McDaniels. Thanks, guys. Your support means the world, and it helps us do what we do. Quick ad break, and then this week's episode. Enjoy. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Warning The Foundation database is classified. Unauthorized access will result in detainment. Within this archive, you'll find the procedures, descriptions, and accounts of the most notorious anomalies we've encountered to date. Secure. Contain. Protect. The following is an introduction statement intended for new members of MTF Psi-9, Abyss Gazers. By 05-4 regarding SCP-2480 at the height of the anomalous threat. We are on the verge of an SK-class dominant shift as a result of SCP-2480. Projections expect this shift to complete by the year 2030, but we will not allow this to happen. You have been selected to join Project Sictra Acra. Another world is bleeding into ours. It is a massive evasive colonization of our reality. Their soldiers don't experience fear or pain. They know nothing of resistance or mercy, and what you maybe heard is true. Genetic analysis of the enemy has arrived at the conclusion that are mostly human. They cloak themselves in a facsimile of our own baseline reality. They wear the faces of the people we love, forcing us to kill over and over the very people we're fighting to save. Every word you heard about these abominations is, in all likelihood, absolutely true. But there is one myth I need to dispel. These aberrations can be destroyed despite the lies claiming otherwise. Make no mistake, we won't achieve our objectives without substantial sacrifice. You will see friends and comrades die. Devoured by behemoths, sundered by the cries of jabberers. Despite your significant training, the survival rate for MTF Psi 9 teeters at approximately 55% during the first month of active duty. But that is a vast improvement over initial mortality rates. Flesh is their weapon. 
Ours is technology, innovation, and the wisdom of those who came long before us. Few had the vision to recognize this threat. This is our world. These are our people. We can live for ourselves today or help secure tomorrow for everyone. Welcome to the Invisible War. Item number SCP-2480 Object Class Presumed Neutralized Special Containment Procedures Class A, B, and C amnestics may be used at the discretion of field agents. Foundation personnel have been integrated with the community surrounding SCP-2480's quarantine or relocation of inhabitants has been deemed unfeasible. The local population is the best source of information regarding SCP-2480. Agents are to make inquiries and investigate any rumors, reports, or claims about events or entities of an anomalous nature. Mobile Task Force Epsilon-6, Village Idiots, have infiltrated the community and are to remain on the lookout for anomalous manifestations. Mobile Task Force Psi-9, Abyss Gazers, is to remain on standby in case of an emanation event. Use of force is authorized and anomalous manifestations are to be eliminated with prejudice. SCP-2480 is an anomalous region located in Massachusetts, a heavily forested coastal town with just over 9,000 residents. The epicenter is Bodfell Manor, where the anomaly manifests as impossible interior dimensions and non-Euclidean architecture. The Foundation became aware of SCP-2480 after intercepting, decoding, and responding to a distress call from Global Occult Coalition operatives in Bodfell Manor on November 28, 1952. Foundation teams arrived first and secured the site. No GOC forces responded to the operatives' plea for help. Initial exploration found 36 human corpses scattered throughout the estate, eight of which were identified as members of the GOC. All but five of the dead displayed anomalous cause of death such as implosion, disintegration, or fatal physical reconfiguration. The others were killed by ingestion of potassium cyanide tablets or self-inflicted gunshots. Further exploration of the structure revealed inconsistencies between the size of interior and exterior architecture. Rooms and corridors where there should be none. Doors and stairways in the middle of walls or on the ceiling. And spaces which fold in on themselves. These inconsistencies are believed to originate from the event which created SCP-2480, as there is no mention of anomalous architecture in any documentation about the house written prior to November 1952. Further analysis concluded that SCP-2480 was created by accident when the GOC interrupted a ritual being performed at the location by a secret society known as the Didham's Wake. While the true purpose of this ritual remains unknown, the Foundation has concluded the anomaly was exacerbated by the inept and heavy-handed actions of the GOC during their operation. Investigations into GOC members who could still be identified led Foundation teams to a local safe house where a single badly damaged document was recovered. While the GOC attempted to purge documentation related to their mission, a partly burned report was discovered in the back of a fireplace along with a significant quantity of hash. Based on this find, Foundation analysts believe the GOC intended to assassinate person of interest number 93, also known as Grand Carcist Ion, or the Grand Carcist of Adidum. Foundation analysts do not believe PIO 93 was among the dead. It is likely that the GOC did not achieve their primary goal. Bodfell Manor was the home of Cornelius P. Bodfell III, 
Mr. Bodfell was a millionaire industrialist with an acute interest in the occult. His body was recovered among the dead. Foundation coroners described his corpse as having been reorganized, with limbs and organs in places they didn't belong. No physical trauma was found that could account for this change. From documents recovered at the manor, Bodfell was identified as the leader of Adidam's Wake. The group was dismissed by the Foundation in 1932 as a decadent upper-class social club. The capacity to manipulate esoteric forces was not recognized until the incident. The investigation of Bodfell Manor uncovered disconcerting evidence with regards to Cornelius P. Bodfell III and his organization's activities. Based on several meticulously kept journals and a collection of photographs, Bodfell and his followers would frequently host orgies that included cannibalism, and ritual human sacrifice. Discovered within the journals were sermon notes, a guest list whose names included affluent families, respected politicians, leaders of industry, and several with significant religious authority. Among Bodfell's belongings was a handwritten tome containing religious scripture. His journals referred to this book as a Volkzeron. Its text used a unique script, which is yet to be deciphered. The Grand Hall contains a marble statue depicting an entity with a leonine head and veriform body. Dr. Judith Lowe, a senior advisor at the Foundation's Department of History, confirmed that the statue is consistent with representations of the Demiurge among certain Gnostic sects. This Demiurge, known as Yalde Beoth, Saiklas, or Samael, has no history of being presented with reverence, but is believed to be a figure of worship for Adidim's wake. At the base of the statue, written in Greek, are the words, Desire is the measure of all things. Be unbound from moral tethers. Do as you will, to whom you will. In mid-1988, Simon Oswalt, director of Site 13, failed to send a biannual report on the state of SCP-2480, which had no reported changes since its original containment. The Foundation believed it to be a bureaucratic error and attempted to contact Site 13 but received no response. Agent Samuel Rowe and Sarah Valentine were sent to investigate, but neither agent has since made contact. Their fate remains unknown. Mobile Task Force Epsilon 6, Village Idiots, was dispatched to in order to reestablish contact with Site-13 and properly secure SCP-2480. Members of MTF Epsilon 6 were able to successfully integrate themselves into the community as new residents or tourists but no sign of Site-13 was found. The following is a transcript of mission logs recorded by personnel assigned SCP-2480. Superfluous data has been expunged for the sake of brevity. Mission Log, Agent Emma Lightbody, Day 6. Cliché as it sounds, I've noticed a certain wrongness here. It isn't anything that I can actually pinpoint. In another place, I'd probably dismiss it immediately. Last night I saw a man mowing his lawn at midnight. Strange behavior, but not itself an anomaly. Maybe he's just eccentric. This morning I noticed a man staring me down at the fish market. His eyes never blinked once. There's a smell, too. Not fish, not the sea, subtle but pungent all the same. Mission Log Agent Adam Grayson, Day 11 I'm not comfortable in this hotel one bit. You can hear people running about at all hours of the night. Can't get any sleep. Keep checking the damn peephole. Last night, decided to check it one last time before heading to bed. Saw a face. 
Couldn't tell you if it was a man or woman, but as soon as I looked, they started to slam their head against the door over and over again. They just wouldn't stop. Mission Log, Agent Emma Lightbody, Day 16. I don't know what command is waiting for. Our target is Bodfell Estate, but they've stayed their hand so far. Maybe they know something we don't. A nervous-looking man approached me on the street, reeked of whiskey but his tone was sincere, asked me if I was a fed. Lied, said I was, and was able to get some info. Talked about monsters in the fog, screaming their secrets, he said. No idea what he meant by it. Said it's been like this for over forty years. They found him dead the very next day. Locals claimed he drowned. This town is full of liars. Mission Log, Agent Adam Grayson, Day 20. Fog is thick here. Always raining. Even the trees look sad, like they're stuck in autumn or something. Too much gray. Not enough green. The locals don't talk much, just keep to themselves. It's strange for a supposed vacation destination. The majority of folks don't ever smile. They look damn tired, too. Even sickly. My first weird encounter was today. Saw a bunch of kids gathered on the street around dusk. Thought they were playing a game, but as soon as they noticed me, they scattered. Left behind the object of their attention. It was a dead dog. Looked like a black lab, actually. Had one as a kid, and seeing it nearly brought me to tears. It hit my weak spot, I guess. I've seen plenty of human corpses. Never felt a thing. But that wasn't really the odd part. It would be one thing if they were poking it with a stick. I mean, kids get curious and all. But no, this was different. Poor critter was partially flayed and covered in bite marks. Big chunks torn from it. Those kids were having a goddamn snack out there. Mission Log, Agent Emma Lightbody, Day 30. Giuseppe and I did some exploration today. Plenty of abandoned buildings to choose from. Decided to check out a two-story house by the waterfront. The inside wasn't quite what we were expecting. The interior was covered in gibberish and symbols. Odd, but not anomalous. Another notable detail was in the living room. Had one of those tiny screen TVs, the sort you'd see in the 50s and 60s. There were four TV dinner trays still standing and holding half-eaten meals, decayed beyond recognition. What family abandons their home and all their belongings in the middle of dinner? Thought we caught a glimpse of someone? Chased them upstairs but never found anyone. Giuseppe thinks we were chasing our own shadows. Maybe he was right. We'll check out another place tomorrow. Maybe secure us a proper anomaly. Mission Log, Agent Adam Grayson, Day 39. The others underestimate the dive bar scene in this town. Some think you can't trust a drunk to offer proper intel, but they're wrong. Just have to filter out the noise. Besides, the inebriated seem to be the only honest folk here and easy to bleed for information. Conversed with an old fisherman. Looked like he'd seen some rough living. Rambled a lot. Started sobbing about lost siblings. Said Bodfell took two sisters and a brother. Questioned him more, but couldn't get him to answer if he meant the estate or the dead millionaire himself. Guess he was old enough for the latter. 
saw the original report in the mission briefing. Bodville was a sick fuck. I doubt the whole cult died with him either. Man was delirious by the end. Said the town had a god-shaped hole in it. I couldn't get him to elaborate. Mission log. Emilite body. Day 40. Grayson is dead. I don't know exactly what happened, but he's gone. We were having a few beers at the docks comparing notes, said he felt like he was being followed, told him we were all feeling something like that. His eyes were bloodshot from lack of sleep, kept twitching, too. It all happened so fast. I felt the hairs on my neck rise. The air smelled of thunder, assumed a storm was brewing. I saw Grayson's eyes widen, and in an instant he was turned to slurry, hit by some invisible force. All I could do was sit there in shock, covered in blood, shit, and bile, and watch the chunks of my friend as they tumbled into the water. Through it all, I felt a presence. Whatever it was, I think it wanted me to know how easily it could do this to me, too. I don't know why it spared me. A crowd looked on from a distance. A few twisted their lips into a plastic smile, but most averted their gaze, lowered their heads, and went back to their daily routine. I just wish we could raise this place and have it all done with. Statement of Dr. Calixto Narvaez Surveillance of has revealed patterns of possible significance, including excessive procreation, cognitive impairment, drug abuse, disappearances, suspicious deaths, and apathy. The average household in the town has 12 children, a number unsupported by census data. Approximately 80% of children born over the last 30 years lack birth certificates or social security numbers. Inquiries have failed to ascertain why this might be. I suspect religious reasoning. Similar to Quiverful, an evangelical Protestant movement that promotes procreation based primarily on Genesis 128. Many residents appear to have difficulty with memory retention and mental fatigue. Subtle hallucinations are not uncommon. The community appears to consume approximately 200% more alcohol than the statewide average. The use of hallucinogens is seemingly non-existent. The number of disappearances within the vicinity of is the highest in the state. This has been blamed on geographical features such as dense forest and marshland by local, state, and federal law enforcement agencies. The actual number of missing is much higher if we include the unreported disappearances of transients and local residents mentioned by field personnel. Many local fatalities suggest foul play and anomalous causes of death. All such deaths have been recorded as accidental or suicide, even when contradictory evidence is available. For example, a woman was discovered with her body structurally inverted. The police report concluded her death was a suicide, although this is highly unlikely. An unusual malaise affects the town, as should readily be apparent from the previous examples. From my experience with other anomalies, I hypothesize that we are dealing with an anomalous entity or force operating beyond our senses and the detection capability of our technology. Perhaps one capable of creating a facsimile of baseline reality, invisible 
but not entirely intangible. I've requested access to a supply of dimethyltryptamine. Previous experiments with human perception have yielded positive results from DMT. A requisition form has been filed and awaits proper authorization. To better explain the reasoning behind my request, in 1976, I was sent to Brazil, a community displaying abnormalities akin to those seen around SCP-2480. I eventually came in contact with an indigenous tribe in the southern part of the Brazilian Amazon, a people unaffected but surprisingly aware of the anomaly. Introduced to their shaman, I learned of the aberrations that lurked beyond mortal sight. The tribe had many words for these entities, but the most common could be translated as None stand where they do, and were associated with a condition known as soul sickness. They were viewed as distinct from the spirits of their animist traditions, a living wound on nature brought to their land by colonists. Their shaman showed me Anandinanthera peregrina, a tree more commonly known as Yopo. It is used in healing ceremonies and rituals, and contains trace amounts of the perception-enhancing chemical dimethyltryptamine. I was able to see the world as they saw it, but at the time I dismissed my experience as a hallucination. DMT is commonly held to be a hallucinogen, this is demonstrably false, as noted with my experiments with It is a perception enhancer, allowing us to sense that which evolution has seen fit to obscure. DMT, when properly administered, is able to activate this normally dormant level of perception for anyone. To put it simply... It removes our perceptional filters so that we can perceive reality for what it really is. DMT Session 1. Dr. Calixto Narvez, assisted by Dr. Jin Wu. Recording begins. Can you hear me, Dr. Wu? Yes, Dr. Narvaez. The recording is active. You may begin. This is Dr. Narvaez. I'm in the town center of... Massachusetts. Today is July 15th, 1997. The time is 0900. The purpose of this experiment is to determine whether DMT will reveal anomalous characteristics or entities in the area which are not visible to the human eye or foundation technology. I am carrying an inhaler containing 60 milligrams of DMT. This log is being recorded by my assistant, Dr. Wu, who is receiving encrypted audio and video recordings from equipment concealed on my person. I am now inhaling the DMT. I have inhaled the DMT. Within approximately one minute, I will experience a tingling numbness throughout my body, and the drug will take effect. There it is. Yes. Oh. Colors are becoming more vivid. 
and a yellow fog has cloaked the town. I, I see people in dark, hooded robes. Their outfits appear to be poorly stitched leather and hide. I, I cannot see their faces, and I feel... I feel instinctively that I must not look upon them. The majority of the locals appear surprisingly normal. They move around or stand aside when the hooded figures approach. Never do they make eye contact. The locals do appear to be evading something unseen. Fascinating. I will continue to explore. The buildings are in a state of ruin, covered in pulsating, fleshy material. They look normal on the body cam. I see a drainage system. Black fluid flows through it. It has an amber sheen. I can't see that at all. The church in the center of town has been replaced by a black ziggurat. Cowled entities prostrate themselves before the structure. <gasps> It must hold some religious significance. I see a robed entity in the distance. It is abnormally tall and holds several unknown creatures by a leash. Don't point, Dr. Narvaez. You'll give yourself away. I want to examine the leash more closely. Its composition is not unlike that of intestines. The creatures have small, unblinking eyes... Their mouths full with rows of needle-like teeth. Their flesh is sickly pale, yet muscular. They gibber madly and move at a frenzied pace. I recommend keeping your distance, Doctor. That's a teacher with young students, possibly on a field trip. Several of the creatures are attacking one of their own. Its size suggests it is the runt of their back. They rend its flesh with their talons and teeth as it squeals in pain. Yeah, one of the kids is being bullied by their peers. Take it easy or drawing attention to yourself. Looking skyward, I see tall, chitinous spires looming over the town. I don't understand their purpose. I require proof that this hidden world is real but must obtain it without drawing attention to myself. I'm pretty sure you're just super high. You should drink something. I remove a bottle of water from my satchel and consume it before backtracking to where I saw that strange liquid. Crouching down, I fill the plastic container with the viscous substance. You don't have to narrate everything you're doing. Just tell me what you see. The other world begins to fade, and I... I am returned to reality. The effects of the DMT are wearing off. The bottle looks empty, but I can feel the weight of the liquid. I've never experienced anything like that before. Besides the organic structures, I saw black banners with a yellow spiral-like symbol. I feel like I've seen that glyph before, but its meaning and origin escape me. All right, Doctor, it's probably best if you come in. We should check your vitals and make a report of our results. Recording ends.
The following is a note written on the lab report by Dr. Jin Wu, following the return of Dr. Narvaez to their field lab. Contrary to expectations, the bottle brought back to the lab by Dr. Narvaez does contain fluid. It became visible after its removal from SCP-2480's hypothesized zone of influence. It is black and reflects light with an amber shimmer consistent with Dr. Narvaez's observations while under the influence of dimethyltryptamine. Substance is a liquid, although somewhat gelatinous. Microscopic analysis has revealed organelle-like structures resembling free mitochondria in a particularly viscous serum with high levels of unidentified fatty acids. Research is underway. DMT Test Session 2 Dr. Clixto Narvaez with lab support provided by Dr. Jin Wu. Field support provided by undercover MTF agents Lightbody and Goldstein. Recording begins. This is Dr. Narvaez. I'm in Massachusetts. Today is July 17th, 1997. The time is 1300. I'm accompanied by Agent Lightbody and Agent Goldstein. We are investigating the house that, until recently, was occupied by Agent Giuseppe. The initial investigation provided no clues about his disappearance, although foul play is presumed. Repeating the methodology of my previous experiment, I have a live encrypted audio-video feed connected to my lab. The feed is being monitored by my assistant, Dr. Jin Wu. Goldstein and Lightbody are also wearing body cameras. I will inhale 60 milligrams of DMT and examine the building under its effects to see if new evidence or clues present themselves. This should be good. Agent Lightbody, are you all right? You seem distressed. I'm fine. Let's get on with it. Very well. We've completed an initial examination of the building exterior. I am now taking DMT. Well? As expected, I am experiencing a tingling sensation throughout my body. Okay. Okay, it's working. Oh my. What do you see, Doctor? I... I now perceive the house as it truly is. Decaying, covered in excrement and blood. I can smell it, taste it. I imagine this to be what it is like to bite into a tumor, a rotten tumor. Tumors are just flesh, after all. Jesus. Okay, let's head inside. The front door opens into the living room. Written on the wall just above the couch, words. He is dreaming war. A ditem will rise. The meaning of these words are beyond my understanding. There are other symbols. They are in a language I have never seen before, and impossible Shit. to decipher. I wish we could record what the group moves through the house, but no other oddities are detected in the rooms on the main floor. Lightbody, get the door. I'll keep an eye on the doctor. Got it. The group moves down the stairs with Goldstein carefully guiding the doctor. Looks like a root cellar. Yes, an ancient 
root-cellar. On the far end is a large spiral painted on the wall. I feel compelled to inspect it closer. Be careful. As I draw closer, the wall fades, yet the symbol remains, as if painted upon empty air. Through this archway are descending stairs. Yeah, there's nothing there, Doctor. It's just a dirt wall. Dr. Narvaez approaches the wall and steps through. Down onto stairs the rest of the group can't see. What the hell? He just walked through the fucking wall. The camera's gone black. There is no wall. There was never a wall. Only a clever illusion. <laughs> Where the hell did he go? Woo, can you help us out? Close your eyes and step through as I did. Uh... Come on, Goldstein. This isn't the weirdest shit we've done on the job. Fuck. Wish I had my tactical gear. Let's do this. Agent Light Body steps forward. Following the doctor's instructions, she closes her eyes and steps through the wall. She stumbles on the first step, but Dr. Narvaez helps her steady herself. Holy shit, it's dark as fuck in here. Agent Light Body retrieves a flashlight from her pocket and turns it on. They are standing on stone steps that descend into the earth. Will, can you see this? No. Camera feed is black. Audio is still mostly clear. For now. Goldstein follows Light Body through the invisible door, and now all three are on the staircase. Wow. That was unexpected. Now all three of us are on the other side. They too see the descending stone stairs. Let's go. I can't see anything. What's happening? We are walking down the stairs. Into the bowels of the basement's basement. There's a tunnel here. The walls quiver and tremble with life. Porous. They bleed a sap-like material. Wu, are you still with us? Wu, come in. Wu, come in. We've lost her. GPS isn't working, obviously. Light body. You have your compass? Yeah, but it's just spinning around and around. There must be some kind of magnetic interference down here. Light Buddy draws her sidearm, and Goldstein follows her lead. I'll take point, Dr. Neverez. Stay between us. Goldstein, watch our backs. The team moves down the tunnel until they reach an antechamber where the tunnel splits in many directions. This way. Narvaez chooses a path on the left, and Agent Lightbody leads the way, pointing her weapon and flashlight ahead of her. They walk for only a few minutes before reaching a rotted wooden door. Can you see the door? Yeah, it's just a regular door. It's in pretty bad shape, though. I'm opening it. Lightbody pushes the door open and steps through, sweeping her light from side to side as she scans for threats. Narvaez and Goldstein follow. Clear. There's a light coming through the walls. The team has entered what appears to be a dilapidated shack with ancient wooden walls and farming tools hanging from hooks in the ceiling. GPS is back online. Looks like we're on the opposite side of town. What? We weren't down there that long. I can hear you again. Can you hear me? Loud and clear. Before anyone can object. Dr. Narvaez steps outside. We appear to be in a field of some kind. A yellow fog blankets the land. Goldstein and Lightbody follow the doctor outside. Looks like an abandoned farm. GPS says you're relatively close to the Bodfell estate. <sighs> I've taken another 60 milligrams of DMT. Agent Goldstein, would you take the lead, please? We should head back towards the lab. 
The group walks for a few minutes before Dr. Narvaez speaks up. I hear heavy breathing, even heavier footsteps. I can't hear anything. Neither can I. Which way, Doctor? Doctor, what's wrong? Doctor, what's wrong? We need to run. Now! Dr. Narvaez bolts into the field as Goldstein is lifted suddenly off the ground by an unseen force. Something tears into his torso, spilling his entrails into the knee-high grass. He howls in shock and agony, firing his sidearm uselessly at his invisible assailant as he dies. Lightbody looks around for the shack, but can no longer see it. She turns instead and follows the doctor into the overgrown field, pushing through in an attempt to keep her eyes on the fleeing doctor. Then suddenly, something grabs Agent Lightbody by the ankle and drags her down. Narvaez keeps running and doesn't look back. Recording ends. The following was written by Dr. Narvaez following his return to the lab. These notes must be done in retrospect. Goldstein and Lightbody, regrettably, could not see the threat, and I was too slow to react. I mourn their loss, but must describe the encounter in as much detail as possible. I saw the massive humanoid, maybe four meters in height, shamble out from the fog. I wanted to scream, but I attempted to remain calm in order to gather as much data as possible. Physical description. Its flesh was pale and flabby. Its face dominated by a large, tooth-filled mouth. It lacked visible eyes, ears, or nostrils. Its teeth and three-fingered hands were heavily stained caked in what appeared to be viscera. The entity charged us, loping like a colossal gorilla. I informed the others that it would be best that we retreat, but it would prove too late for Agent Goldstein. The entity lifted him with a single hand and tore into his torso with its teeth, disemboweling him in the process. We ran through the fields, unable to find the shack from which we came. I was unarmed, yet I alone had the means to lead. I should have supplied the agents with DMT, something I deeply regret in retrospect. I could feel the ground beneath my feet quake. Casting my eyes downward, I saw fragmented flesh like harlequin-type ichthyosis. With each step I took, the skin splintered and gushed like an infected, pus-filled wound. The ground soon ruptured with slithering crimson tendrils. They snatched Agent Lightbody by her ankle and pulled her into a hole far too small for any human. I ran and never looked back. I hope this is enough evidence. I have no wish to return to that place.
Hey everyone, Pacific here with a quick ad break and a reminder. For just $5 a month, you can get access to ad-free and bonus episodes on our Patreon at patreon.com scp underscore pod. There's also a link to our Patreon in the show notes below. Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit amfam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. And now, back to the episode. Project Citra Acro was conceived by the Foundation and Global Occult Coalition in order to contain and neutralize the threat presented by SCP-2480. MTF Psi-9, Abyss Gazers, was formed as a joint task force consisting of personnel from the Foundation and Global Occult Coalition. MTF Psi-9 is a battalion strength force trained in unconventional warfare against invisible anomalous invaders. Psi-9 uses heavy artillery, dimethyltryptamine-enhanced perception, and counter-occult stratagems, COS, to battle enemies emerging from SCP-2480. MTF Epsilon-6 will continue working undercover in SCP-2480-infected locations, collecting intel for MTF Psi-9 operations. This is proven an effective, albeit costly, method of preventing the spread of SCP-2480. Please see Document Engagement Protocols, SCP-2480-2 through SCP-2480-46 for further details. With the use of dimethyltryptamine, MTF Psi-9 operatives are able to perceive their targets. After 12 years of nighttime clandestine operations, and after suffering heavy casualties, MTF Psi-9 were able to reclaim Bodfell Estate and Site-13. The apprehension of SCP-2480-1, former Site Director Simon Oswalt, has potentially neutralized the threat of SCP-2480. Although still invisible to normal perception, SCP-2480 entities in grew idle, refusing to feed or even defend themselves. It is currently hypothesized that SCP-2480-1 controlled SCP-2480 entities via pheromones, and that its removal caused said entities to become directionless. Several cadavers were discovered impaled on the outer walls of Site-13. Estimated age of the dead and the style of uniforms worn suggest that they perished in the early 1960s. Physical examinations of SCP-2480-1 revealed significant mutation from baseline humans. A vivisection determined that the subject lacked all internal organs save for the brain, lungs, and heart. The brain showed notable deviation, most significantly a pineal gland eight times larger than normal. SCP-2480-1 is currently secured at Armed Biological Containment Area 14. Interview Log 2480-1-1 Subject SCP-2480-1 Interviewed by Dr. Peter Hull Begin Log Hello, SCP-2480-1 I hope that you are comfortable. 
You'll address me as Karsus Karvas. Uh, due to protocol... Karsus, don't speak to me of protocol. I know your rules well. Ask your questions on Wash One. I have no interest in feigned pleasantries. Uh, very well. Although we do not yet understand how, the Foundation believes it understands why you disguised the infestation. What was the point of allowing so many to live in the town? Couldn't you have replaced them all? Fresh materials are always in demand. Why would a farmer butcher all of his pigs? The population must be kept alive and encouraged to breed. Never deplete a necessary resource. What happened to those that vanished? Pigs are clever animals, you know. Intelligent and noble. But pork is delicious. Right. I see. Moving on. How long have you had these anomalous properties? Was it before or after your recruitment to the Foundation? It was soon after my appointment to Site 13. Soon after I was made aware of the Foundation's dossier on me. Dullard, it called me. A mirthless bureaucrat without known family or friends. Perfect, it said, to be director at the inconsequential Site 13. That is not nearly enough to justify your traitorous actions. You unimaginative imbeciles thought it safe. <laughs> safe? Please answer the question with regards to your anomaly. A gift from one who saw my full potential. I don't understand. Speak English, please. As big. Eon, our immortal father, breaker of chains, his divine shadow, Grand Carsus of Adium, Lord of the Neverland, our priest divine, our God. Ion, that was all I needed. Ion. Please do not waste my time with gratuitous titles. Do not interrupt your better. Disobey me, and I'll have you nailed to the wall with the other Calm hand. down, or we will be forced to... I will make you dance, me puppet! You are a joke to me! SCP-2480-1 breaks its restraints, self-amputating its arms in the process. Entity squirms on the floor towards the cell's ballistic glass and begins beating its head against the impenetrable surface. Security and medical personnel, dressed in protective hazmat gear, enter the containment unit. Subject is restrained, gagged, and treated for its injuries. End log. SCP Archives was created by Pacific S. Obadiah and John Grills. SCP-2480 was written by Metaphysician. Our script was edited by Kevin Whitlock, and our narrator was John Grills. Goldstein was Dustin Parsons. Grayson was Russ Moore. Hull was Graham Rowett. Lightbody was Nicole Goodnight. Narvez was Giancarlo Herrera. O5-4 was Marquise Moore. SCP-2480-1 was Jesse Hall, 
and Wu was Alyssa Park. Our theme song was done by Tom Rory Parsons, and our editor was Veronica California. Our showrunner was Kale Brown, and I'm your producer, Pacific S. Obadiah. Our executive producers are Tom Owen and Brad Miska, and this is a Bloody FM show. For more information, visit bloody.fm. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.